Hey, welcome to Biohacking with Brittany, a podcast focused on holistic health, nutrition, biohacking, and more. I'm your host, Brittany Ford, registered holistic nutritionist and self-proclaimed biohacker. During the last 10 years, I've focused on healing my gut and hormonal issues through lifestyle changes, nutrition, and of course, biohacks. And now I teach others to do the same. I'm so excited you're joining me today. So let's dive right in. Well, welcome to another podcast episode with myself. Um, I am so happy that you are joining this week and we are diving into a very cool topic, something I've kind of touched upon before, um, but not as much in detail as we are going to do today. I am joined with Dr. Kanwal Bawa. <laughs> She's a board certified physician and she focuses on um, female sexual health. But beyond that, she actually has a very, very cool story herself um, from her experience with cancer to actually becoming a beauty queen, which we're going to get into. So welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Brittany. I'm delighted to be here. Yeah. So like I just said, like you have a very incredible story of beating cancer to becoming a beauty queen in one year, which is like amazing. So I want you to describe this and kind of walk us through how this all happened. Well, it's an interesting, sad story, actually. I first noticed a lump about three years prior to being diagnosed with it. I noticed a lump. I went to my physician. I mentioned to him that I felt a lump. He immediately dismissed me, said he felt nothing. He also argued with me that I was under 40, did not meet the risk factors, would not get it approved by insurance. I personally thought that was no reason to not get a mammogram. And Mm. I had to insist. And finally, he relented. And he ordered a mammogram, which incidentally showed the lump. So they got an ultrasound and then they said, it's fine. You don't need a biopsy, but come back in six months. So when I got the next mammogram, they said, well, we don't like the look of it. Let's get another diagnostic mammogram. Okay. I went back, still no biopsy. And then finally it grew to the point that you could see the outline through my skin. And I said, now at this point, this is getting ridiculous. And at that point I was diagnosed with it after biopsy. Wow. That must have been very hard to not be listened to and kind of just dismissed like that. Yes. And what made me really sad about it was that here I was being an advocate for my health, doing what doctors tell you to do, you know, do your monthly Mm. breast exam, go see your doctor if something's not right. I was doing that and I was still getting dismissed. It was that whole stop being a hysterical woman kind of thing. And I wonder if this is how they treated a doctor who had medical knowledge and cause to be concerned. How do they treat other women? Isn't that a thought? Yeah. Yeah. No kidding. Um, So you kind of went on this journey of eventually getting diagnosed. And then what happened after that? When I got diagnosed, I, you know, it was almost like the floor shifted from under my feet because I was 42 years old two young children and, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, single mom working two jobs and suddenly I have cancer and, you know, you think of death. Mm. My boys were very upset. 
They thought their mother was going to die, have a difficult relationship with their dad. They thought this was the end of their world. But I was very lucky to, after all the frogs I kissed, to finally meet Dr. Kalfa at Sylvester Cancer Comprehensive Center at the University of Miami. And I can honestly tell you that meeting her changed things. She was so kind. She was so lovely to my children. She actually FaceTimed with them and told them, I will take care of your mother. You don't need to worry. She's in good hands. And I didn't ask her to do that. So, you know, I got a lot of support from unexpected sources along the way. And at that point, she told me I was going to need 16 rounds of chemotherapy. And, you know, it it became ugly. Um, It was like my life flashed before my eyes. Like you think of, you know, those New York subway scenes where the trains whizzing past. It was very similar to that. I hate to be dramatic, but it really feels like that when somebody tells you that. And uh, I thought to myself, my story can't end here. It cannot be just about sickness. My cancer has to amount to something bigger than myself. And I became an ambassador for the American Cancer Society's Researchers Initiative for Women-Led Cancer Research, because I never realized until I was diagnosed with cancer myself that of the 49 Nobel laureates the American Cancer Society has funded for research, not one has been been a woman. And in the year 2021, I think that's absolutely unacceptable. So I now help them raise funds, not just for my cancer, but for all cancer. I also decided that I was going to change how cancer patients and others look at cancer in general. I felt that joy shouldn't end, fun shouldn't end, dreams and hopes shouldn't end. And I decided to enter the Miss Florida pageant, MS Miss Florida. You know, I'm a little bit older, so Mm -hmm. can't be Miss Florida, having been married and everything. So um, Miss Florida. And I walked on stage a month after my mastectomy with my scars completely visible. I chose to not cover them with makeup. I could have worn a dress that didn't show my scars, but I didn't feel that I should have to hide my truth to be beautiful. I also went on stage without a wig and without any extensions. So I spoke my truth and my truth won. I was crowned Miss Florida that night. Wow, that's crazy. I mean, oh, wow. That's what a beautiful journey. Like, so how were you feeling in that moment when you won after going through everything that you've gone through? Having been as sick as I was and having had an aggressive cancer like I did, I was grateful to just walk on that stage. And Mm -hmm. that's what I always told everybody who told me this wasn't the right time, maybe another year. And I said, no, no, any other year, it won't mean as much to me. This year, it means something. So when I finally walked on that stage, I felt triumphant just by walking on that stage because I felt that The fact that I put on a gown, I needed help to put that gown on. I was still in so much pain, but I at least put a gown on and put on heels and walked onto stage and I I was a winner right there. But when I actually won the title, I felt that this would redefine beauty in cancer forever. And for that, I was grateful. Yeah, that's beautiful. That's honestly, that's really beautiful. And what a beautiful perspective to have. Um, not wearing extensions or a wig or covering up, you know, and then winning. And also like the the role model that you are for all of the young girls watching you is incredible too. And and just to set that standard, it's it's very inspirational. Thank you. 
Yeah. So I know in your practice right now, um, you focus on female sexual health. So how did you get to this point of focusing on that uh, in your career? Well, I'll tell you about the scenic uh, route I took to doing what I do. I incidentally don't just do female intimate health. I also do male intimate health. Okay. And it's one part of what I do. I was actually board certified in emergency medicine after being trained at the Cleveland Clinic in Ohio. I was in emergency medicine for many years and I love emergency medicine. It was absolutely wonderful to do that. But I felt that too often I was reacting to disease, not preventing it. Mm. And that's fine. There's a time and place for an ER doctor, but I felt that my journey needed to be different. And I went into hair transplant surgery. I had a hair transplant myself that didn't go well, inspired me to get into this myself. So I went back into training, trained in hair transplant surgery. I then felt, oh my goodness, I need to help people look better even with their skin. So got into skin rejuvenation and a lot of rejuvenation that way. A lot of PRP, PRFM, growth factor, stem cells, the whole nine yards. So I got into... Uh, a very deep, deep dive into biohacking the system as it were. And that led me into intimate wellness because I now found that I could help men and women and even um, trans patients with their unique needs when it comes to intimate wellness with rejuvenative therapies that were actually helping them, changing them, not just putting a bandaid on a problem. And that's how I got into intimate wellness. And it started with, you know, O shots and P shots in my case. I started doing vaginal rejuvenation with CO2 lasers. I also started using Gainswave. Gainswave is um, an acoustic wave therapy that is used to break down blockages in the male genitalia, the penis, the scrotum, the general perineal area, all of that. Because, you know, so much of um, erectile dysfunction or lack of a of an optimal response as it were is the fact that you're not getting enough good healthy oxygenated blood flow into the area that's not the only reason but that's a major reason and mm -hmm. i found that i was having exceptional exceptional results with the male patients i was seeing in fact there are youtube videos i could show you where my patients have gone on camera and talked about how transformative this has been for their lives i have a 68 year old patient and it absolutely cracked me up. He asked if we could do a video. I said, sure. And he talked about all kinds of things, intimate things. And I was so grateful that he did because it helps so many people realize that life, sex, all of that does not end when your hair turns white. He's 68, almost 69, and is having sex 12 to 14 times per week with his girlfriend, who I incidentally also treated in my practice. So changing lives, you know? changing lives in ways that people may not think of as being important, but it's critically important. Oh my goodness. 12 to 14 times a week. I know. Legendary, right? That's more than what I have easily. Uh, he's beat me hollow. That's for sure. Yeah. Jeez. I mean, yeah. Wow. Um, that's, yeah, that's really cool. And I, I really, I really like that you call it intimate wellness. I think that I haven't heard that term before, and I, I really respect that. Um, so what are the common issues you're seeing in your clinic that like patients come in, whether female, male, or any, any gender identifying? 
the main problem people are having as they get older is they're not able to orgasm and they have vaginal laxity. Um, mm-hmm. Let's talk about women first, because, you know, it gets too complicated if I talk about both together. Now, mm-hmm. women, I think the youngest women I see are probably in their 20s. I have a patient. There's another video I'll be uploading on YouTube for this. Um, she came in after having two children, vaginal childbirth, and felt that she had a lot of vaginal laxity. That was her chief complaint. That and pain with sex. So that's one subset. Then you have older women, um, you know, probably now 40s, 50s, more my age group, where they're having other issues. Now, hormonal imbalances tend to kick in. And of course, the vaginal laxity, which if it wasn't controlled before, is now only going to get worse with time. So there's that issue. Urinary incontinence is a major issue. It's a pandemic nobody's talking about. And of course, you know, uh, incontinence is a situation so bad that the adult diaper market is massive and increasing at unbelievable rates. So these are the main problems I see with women. Sometimes, you know, you even get hemorrhoids, especially after childbirth. That's another major issue they have. Mm-hmm. Men, of course, it's a range. Erectile dysfunction is a range that people don't realize starts as early as the 20s. 20% of men in their 20s suffer from erectile dysfunction of some sort. And some people look at me like I have two heads when I say that, but it's true. The statistics don't lie. 20% of men in their 20s, and everybody thinks that men in their 20s are having wild, crazy sex, but even <laughs> they're having problems, you know? Yeah. So what hope does a man in his 50s have? Yeah. So that's why I'm so happy to be providing the service I'm providing to both sexes. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, there's so many things to like just think about with that. like with the declining of male sexuality or male, you know, function, sexual function, I guess, um, in their twenties, like, what do you think the reason is behind that? Like, do you think it's related to lifestyle or or what's your take on that? You know, it's really hard to say in today's day and age, even our food is so genetically modified. I'm not saying we need to eat organic. I'm not saying we need to only have antibiotic-free chicken and all of that. But, you know, our lives are not what they used to be. It's not a clean existence like it used to be back in the day when, you know, eggs were small and chickens were the size chickens are supposed to be. Now, I'm from India. In India till today, a chicken is the size you would expect a small chicken to be. When you look in the U.S., my goodness, they're almost the size of small turkeys sometimes. And when I first moved to America, I was very surprised. I said, wow, they have big chickens. Now, the truth of the matter is there's so much modification happening that can't end well for us. Now, you mentioned, you know, what could they be doing differently? Do you know that lack of sleep actually causes a decline in sperm count? Wow. We don't sleep enough. We don't sleep well enough. What's happened, in my opinion, I think it's not the only reason, but I'm sure it's a major reason is that we live on our phones. We live on our devices. We have them all around our beds all the time. We have them in the car, at the, in our place of work. It never ends. And we are so distracted by them. I don't think we're getting the same quality of sleep we used to get. I don't think we're getting the same amount of sleep we used to get. And sperm counts and, you know, uh, that vitality seems to be gone. So I think that's part of it. It's not all of it, but I think it's a solid, you know, percentage as to why it's happening. Have you searched for coffee substitutes before? Something that tastes just as earthy, but without the caffeine? 
I know I definitely have. With the current state of things and working from home and just stress in general, I'm always interested in ways to reduce my stress and support my adrenal glands. This also includes being aware of how much coffee I'm having because I can definitely have too much coffee in the morning and be too hyped up from all the caffeine. But luckily, we can use ingredients like adaptogens, mushrooms, and minerals to enhance our mental focus and provide natural energy and vitality without the stimulating effects. This includes ingredients like lion's mane, cordyceps, reishi, gotu cola, and ashwagandha, which are designed to support our adrenal glands, the glands that release our stress hormone cortisol. They're also designed to reduce stress without any stimulating effect, and you can use them throughout the day. Oasis Adaptogens has a new coffee substitute powder out called Not Coffee, which does exactly this. They also have a supplement called Oasis Balance that is an adaptogen blend. You can take it in the morning and at night to support healthy stress management. Be sure to click the link in my show notes or on my podcast page or go to oasisadaptogens.com and use my promo code biohackingbrittany to get 10%. That's oasisadaptogens.com and my promo code is biohackingbrittany to get 10% off today. Yeah, I, yeah, I'm not surprised by that um, in terms of screens and you know, men constantly having their laptops on their lap or their phone in their pocket, and then also looking at it and then not being able to fall asleep as easily. Um, Our whole lifestyle has really moved towards this like online all the time type of way of living. And it obviously is going to have negative health impacts. Um, And yeah, that's kind of scary. Like that's scary that 20% of men in their 20s are dealing with that. Um, Do you think that statistic is going to increase over time as we move? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and that's even scarier too. (laughs) Like, like, oh man. So in terms of like flipping back to the woman's side, the female side, um, do you see any stats for females in their 20s that show that maybe their sexual function is also declining? You know, women don't like talking about it. I find this really sad, but women will talk about Botox and breast implants like it's nothing, like they're talking about the grocery list. But when it comes to their intimate wellness, they clam up. It's embarrassing for women to discuss it, even with other women. And now that I do so much sexual wellness, people come up to me and tell me, I haven't had sex in this many years or my marriage is suffering. I had a couple in my office the other day The wife was so depressed about having painful sex that she started crying in my office. And the husband just, he was helpless, poor guy. I mean, he really wanted her to get help. That's why they were there. But she's suffering from so so much depression because of this, that it's almost, it's, it's making its own impact on their relationship. Intimate wellness or lack thereof is a major issue and no one's talking about it. So Mm -hmm. for women to talk about it to their doctors sometimes takes many years Women with incontinence, for instance, it takes them several years of suffering before they even go tell their doctor. And then their doctor doesn't always pay attention, you see. I mean, look at my case. Here I was, you know, Cleveland Clinic trained doctor, telling my doctor I had a lump in my breast and being dismissed anyway. So what hope does the average woman have? You know, it's really sad to see. So I think that 
When it comes to women, statistics are hard to come by because I don't think there's enough honesty there. But I'll tell you one statistic that I find absolutely amazing is that men on an average are having an orgasm 95% of the time, women 65% of the time. You know, that's one study. Yeah. Yeah. The men thought their wives were having a great time, but only 65% of them were. Honestly, that doesn't surprise me. Like there you go. that doesn't surprise me in the least because yeah, I mean, we don't have to get into my own sexual history, but um it's it's different for women, right? Like there's I think it's a societal issue where there's a lot of shame around female sexuality and expressing it. And so then that shame also kind of translates to, hey, I actually have a problem, but I still feel shameful that I, or embarrassed that I can't talk to my doctor or can't talk to my partner about it. Um, so I think it's a systemic societal problem that's probably getting better, but it's very slow. Yes, I agree. In fact, I think we are seen by society and to a large extent by ourselves as mothers, as wives, we're not allowed to see ourselves as sexual beings. Yeah. And that's why so often when you, now I was never one to dress provocatively, but I've seen enough women where their shorts are not as short once they have kids. Their dresses are not as tight once they have kids. Even the ones that have a great body feel a little self-conscious because now they're moms. And I think that mentality, unfortunately, spills into the bedroom. And women just assume that they're not going to have those orgasms. They're not going to have that sex life. The partner's supposed to come every time, but you're not. So we tell ourselves that story that, you know, that, that we have that impression that this is okay and it's not okay. There are options and I'm changing that in my practice and I'm talking about it and Sometimes people call me and say to me, why do you talk about sex? And I said, because it helps people. They say, well, it's going to spoil your reputation. And I said, you can't be serious. Except that many people have said that to me, that you are ruining your image by discussing sex so much. I said, I'm helping people. I'm changing lives. Why is that a bad thing? Shouldn't you be proud of me as a friend that I'm helping people? But they say, well, this is just dirty talk. I said, no, it's not dirty talk. That's the problem. Sex is still seen as dirty by women themselves. Mm -hmm. So if we can't even talk about it. How are we going to fix it? Yeah. Yeah. It's honestly, it's just sad. It's, it's sad that this is still the reality for so many females out there um, who don't talk about it or get nervous when it comes up or just don't feel like they can even express themselves, right? And I totally agree with like when women become moms and how they dress and judging a mom if she is wearing a short skirt, like, oh, she's a mom, she shouldn't be wearing that. Like that whole narrative is so ingrained in our culture. Um, like women can't be sexy after they have kids and like, screw that. <laughs> like Exactly, so, screw that. But yeah. that also now, now I'm not saying that a woman has to dress a certain way to attract her partner. I'm not saying that at all. Mm -hmm. But you know, men like to dress up for their women and women like to dress up for their men. If you're not allowed to feel sexy, if you're not allowed to look sexy, it hurts a relationship. Yeah, you've got to feel it first. That's the thing. If you don't feel sexy, it's game over. Nothing I do is going to help you. You've got to feel that way.
Yeah. You've got to understand that you're still that same person. And like, you know, to give you my own example again about walking on that stage, I have nothing against wigs. I mean, people need them. People like them. God bless them. It wasn't for me. And for me, it was a matter of principle. It wasn't even about a wig. I wanted to be honest. I wanted to love myself in whatever form I was. And I think more women need to do that. Yeah, I I really love that. And I, I really respect that. Um, I'm not a mother myself yet, but I'm very curious to see my experience with this. Um, because I, I agree, like you you know, when you dress a certain way and you feel good about yourself, it makes you, you know, like more attracted to your partner and actually want to be sexual and turned on and, and these things that are, are super important. Um, and we know from experience and like from what every like woman says with sexuality for women, it's not just this like on and off switch, like in the bedroom, oh, I'm ready to go. It's kind of like builds all day and you have to feel good about yourself and be in the mood. And it's like, it's, it's longer. It's different. It's different than how it is for men, I would say, which it Absolutely. seems, yeah, which can be like very like quick, like ready to go. You know, for us, sex starts way outside the bedroom. It starts mm-hmm. way earlier. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, so I know like libido can be a big issue, both for men and for women. And especially, you know, during the pandemic and how much stress that's bought, brought for people and both, you know, partners living from home and working from home. Um, what are your recommendations around libido in general? And I'm sure they're different for men and women, but yeah, like where would you start with somebody? Well, some things I think are universal. Hmm. Better sleep, less anxiety and less stress. Now that is a very loaded statement. How do you reduce anxiety and stress? Many people are losing jobs. Many people have financial problems, relationship problems. The pandemic made us stay at home with each other 24-7. That causes its own set of problems. So it's easy for me to say I understand, but reducing stress to whatever level you can. For instance, um, maybe instituting a policy about screen time. It's not just little children who need that. Sometimes adults do. And when you're not so focused on your Netflix or your games or whatever you're doing on Instagram, maybe you actually notice your partner a little bit. Now, I know this won't make make me popular when I say it, but too often we're not even looking at our partners anymore. We're looking at screens while we sit beside them. Yeah. I think that's a big thing. Also, um, hormones, hormone levels. I think if hormone levels aren't optimized and balanced, then you're not going to have good libido. And one thing that bothers me deeply is when people go to these med spas that have these hormone programs and nobody is actually necessarily checking levels closely. Nobody's monitoring them. You don't have a doctor doing any of this. And it bothers me. I think if you are going to get help, go to a doctor who knows hormones who knows how to balance hormones, not just replace them. It's balance. It's an art form that you need. So I think that's another very important part, hormones. Mm-hmm. Nutrition, of course, that's a big one. We don't drink anywhere near enough water. When you're feeling lethargic and tired, you're not going to feel very frisky either. <laughs> yeah. It's small things that are the big things, in my yeah. opinion. Yeah. It's so interesting that you bring up 
not looking at your partner because I've been thinking about that lately. Like, I, so my partner and I, we both work from home, obviously, and he, you know, at nighttime, we'll have dinner and we're moving right now, which has a dining room, uh, like an actual room. But in our current place, we don't have a space for like a proper dining room. So we literally eat dinner on the couch. And so you're not looking at each other. And then you watch Netflix and you're not looking at each other. And then you go to bed and you read in bed and you're still not looking at each other. And it's like, okay, hi, like you're here living with me. I don't even get to see you. Um, and it, you're totally right. It reduces intimacy between you and your, your spouse. So you see, I mean, there's, in my opinion, you know, people ask me as a medical expert, I tell them that I have tools to help them, but they have to do some of the lifting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, I can do peptides for them. For instance, there are peptides that do increase libido and mm. they work spectacularly, mm. but the work has to begin at home. Yeah. Yeah. I, I totally agree with you. Um, we have for this reason and, and some other reasons, but we have like strict screen time, uh, not like rules, but like things that we follow during the week, um, just so that we can create the space to be intimate, right? Like, like when we have that set in place, like even if we choose to be intimate or not, we, there's still the opportunity because otherwise there is no opportunity and you end up just watching Netflix all night and then going to bed, right? So you really have to create the space. Yes. Um, but I'm interested in the peptides. So which peptides do you like for libido? PT-141 seems to work exceptionally well. Um, and is that for both men and women? Yes. Interesting. Okay. I'm going to take a look at that. I I haven't dabbled in peptides yet, but I keep hearing about them over and over again. So I'm very, very interested in them. And there are more peptides one can use, but you know, that's, that's an easy one to think of just offhand. Yeah. And, and apart from peptides, there are other things you can do. I mean, look at Femi Wave, for instance. Femi Wave is the male version of Gaines Wave, the one I mentioned earlier that I use for men. Femi Wave started a few years after Gaines Wave did. You know, as always, women were a little late getting to the party. It's just how our lives seem to go, right? So same technology, just used slightly differently. So same idea. You're breaking up blockages, bringing good, healthy blood flow into the vaginal area. So here's what happens with that. When you have good, healthy blood flow, you have, you know, nerves that start to wake up, that do what they're meant to do. And now you have a little more, you know, buzzing down there. You're a little more conscious of your vagina. You don't forget that it exists. And I had a patient who got a treatment with me. She was so sweet. She sent me a video she wanted me to post. And she said, I want you to post this because people need to hear about this. And I was just so flattered that she felt this way. She said, that she went home after one FemiWave treatment and she was curious, she said. She looked at her vaginal area and she said in the video, I don't look at it often, but I do know that it looked a lot pinker than usual. And Mm -hmm. she said that she took out Bob, her battery-operated boyfriend. I never heard that one before. It cracked me up. (laughs) Oh my God, that's funny. Isn't that funny? I have such great patients. My patients are awesome. And she said, she took Bob for a test drive and she could absolutely say that it was more intense. And that was after a single treatment. And we normally recommend a package of six, 
because real change takes time. Right. Band-aids can be quick, but real change takes time. So it doesn't take that long. I mean, I can do a treatment on a lady once a week or twice a week. It's not a big deal. So within a span of under a month, you could have your entire package done. So what that does is it really helps you get rid of plaques. Now, I wish you could do it on the heart. You'd have fewer heart attacks, right? But unfortunately, Mm -hmm. it's not that simple with your cardiac health. But down below, it's not hard. And you know what the beauty of it is? There is no downtime. Right. Absolutely no downtime. I do not need to numb my patients at all. I don't need to have them abstain from sex before or after. In fact, I often joke, I say, go to town. Boys and girls have fun, male and females, you know, because there's nothing you're doing that's invasive. You are not injecting. You are not doing anything at all that is in any way going to cause an infection. They can go swim, you know. So it's, it's an awesome technology to have access to now. I'd love to quickly interrupt this podcast to ask you, do you know your biological age? Do you know your current hormone, vitamin, and mineral levels? Honestly, it's hard to know what's going on internally without getting tested. And traditionally, you'd have to go through your doctor or your healthcare provider to order these tests, go into a lab, and it would be a whole ordeal. Um, And it (laughs) it would take a while as well. For me personally, this has always been a hurdle for understanding what is actually going on and how to optimize my biomarkers and even know my biological age in the first place. Thankfully, though, we can order a at-home test from Inside Tracker that lets us do this. It tests for your biological age, your hormone, mineral, and vitamin levels. This is a very, very comprehensive test that lets you get a ton of data from a single kit without having to go to a doctor or go to a lab or really leave your house. If you're looking for the ultimate blood test, try Inside Tracker, which includes testing 43 different biomarkers and the option to test your inner age and your DNA. You can use my discount code BiohackingBritney for 25% off all of their products, and you can go through there uh, through the link in my show notes or my website and get tested today. Right. So it emits um, specific waves that increase blood flow. Is that correct? What it does is it uses sound waves. Okay. It sounds like, you know, um, somewhat along the lines of a bit of a jackhammer, you know, but I tell you, it makes vaginas sing. (laughs) Um, Does it have any impact on the eggs in the ovaries? No, no. Okay. Um, yeah, I'm just curious, like those sound waves, how, how deep, I guess, they go into, into the body. It's a good question. I have not seen anything in the data that says it hurts a woman's fertility. Okay. Does it promote fertility? Now, very often, if you think about blockages, and again, I'm not looking at data that connects Femi wave to fertility. So mm-hmm. this is me just talking from a common sense point of view. If you're breaking blockages, you're breaking blockages. If you're helping good blood flow, you're helping good blood flow. So I would think that that would also assist with fertility, but I would never promise a patient that it would make them more fertile because I don't have the data behind it. Right. Thinking about the fact that it does what it does, it would make sense. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's, that's what I figured. Um, so for, for younger people who may be listening to this, you know, maybe early twenties, um, type of thing, or, or even early thirties and, you know, regardless of if they have children or not, but they're looking to kind of enhance their intimate wellness or their sexual health, where would you suggest somebody start? They should first find a doctor who listens because mm-hmm. when they're young in their twenties, they will likely be dismissed, Okay, but they need to speak to a doctor who will listen, who understands that sexual dysfunction does not start in middle age. It starts when you're a lot younger. So once they get a doctor like that, I think they need to also read up and educate themselves on the options that are out there. For instance, if they go to my website, bavamedical.com, that's B-A-W-A medical.com, they can at least read about the options. And that can give them tools to discuss with their own doctor. And, you know, I always say that prevention is better than cure. Mm -hmm. And if you maintain your health, it's a lot better outcome than if you're always trying to fix disease. It should be about enhancement and prevention, not always treatment, if that makes sense. Yeah. Oh, it totally, totally does. So do you use um, FemiWave as prevention for yourself then as well? Yes. It's something that, you know, as a cancer patient, um, you know, there's a whole other set of dysfunction that comes with cancer treatment. And this is a form of rejuvenation where you don't have to worry about, you know, what kind of chemotherapy you're on or things like that. Now, I'm not giving anybody medical advice here. I don't know what their unique problems are, if they are on any kind of blood thinners or, you know, that sort of thing. So this has to be discussed with a doctor. But generally speaking, it is a very, very good treatment that goes across many genres of problem. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, I I want to try it. You're like convincing me to to look. You more should come out over to my office. We'll we'll yeah. hook you right up. Yeah. Do you have any places in Canada that offer it? If you go to femiwave.com, f-e-m-i wave.com, mm-hmm. um, there's a find a provider link on the website. Oh, great. And I think you could look that way. But if yeah. you can't find one near you, fly down, have a vacation, and we'll do some femiwave on you. <laughs> Okay. I am in Florida. It is South Florida. It is the vacation destination. It is. You are correct. Um, yeah, I will definitely take a look at that and I'll link that in the show notes. Um, awesome. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to come on the podcast and talk about this. Um, where can people connect with you? I know you mentioned a couple of your websites already, but if they want to see you maybe in person, how would they do that? They can go to my website, bavamedical.com. That is B-A-W-A medical.com. I am also on Instagram and I'm very active with posting pictures and videos, things like that. My Instagram is bavamedical, B-A-W-A medical. And then I recently started a new Instagram for my intimate wellness uh, patients. Um, It's called Dr. Sex Fairy, (laughs) but actually it's the real Dr. Sex Fairy. Instagram deleted my Dr. Sex Fairy. Apparently it was very offensive. So yeah, who knew? So (laughs) so the real Dr. Sex Fairy, DR Sex Fairy. So that's another way. And if they'd like like to call my office, my office number is 561-4-2-0-0-0-0-0-0-0-0-0-0-0-0-0-0-0-0-0-0-0-0-0-0-0-0-0-0-0-0-0-0-0-0-0-0-0-0-0-0
Awesome. Well, yeah, thank you so much for, for, for mentioning all of that. And I will put that in the show notes um, and in my blog posts and everything and get everyone connected to you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for tuning in today. As always, feel free to screenshot this episode and tag me if you'd like me to respond. I really hope you enjoyed it and learned something new. If you have a question about your health, my DMs are always open and I'm currently taking new clients. Thanks and see you next time. Thanks.